Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. morning, Melissa. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. It's weird because we're podcasting on a Friday, which I'm not used to. And it's like 8 a.m. my time. So I feel like I'm kind of not all the way (laughs) awake. Yeah, I feel you. It's not that early for me, but it's still weird. So just so you all know, listening, this has never happened to us before, but we recorded this entire episode already and honestly killed it. Like, It was one of those episodes where (laughs) afterwards I was like, oh man, and this doesn't happen super often, but I'm like, I was like, dang, that was a really good one. And then we found out that the software we use to record messed something up and the audio was all messed up. So we are re-recording this episode and we'll try and recreate the magic that happened the first time. I feel like we had so many good like tangents and things, but it might be, you know, it just might not (laughs) be the same and we apologize but we're going to try our best. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm trying to like <laughs> not get in my head and be like, what were those things that I talked about then? So we'll try to make the best of yeah, it. Yeah, we'll just follow our talking points and let let the magic happen. Let the talking points find yeah. us like we did last time. But uh, we'll see. It reminds me of when I was like a high school math teacher and I would teach the same lesson back to back. And, you know, you'd be like, wait, have I already talked about this or is that a different class? And it's just weird. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're going to be like, wait, did we already say this in this episode or? Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're listening still, thank you for being here. And we're going to try and make it just yeah. as good. But I think it will It will still be good. Um, what we're going to talk about today is what to check before you click the send button. Because a lot of times when people reach out to us with a deliverability problem or something, and Melissa and I go and dive in, we see things that they could have caught if they knew to check it before they clicked send, and then they wouldn't have had to have that issue. Yeah, it's funny because especially for this topic, like for whatever reason in the last couple of weeks, I feel like I've seen more examples of this than normal. So it was good timing right before this episode, but just easy things that people did that they they could have easily fixed before they sent, and it would have most likely made a pretty big difference with like open rates. So yeah, it is. It's important that like, as we always say, uh, I think we said it a lot when we, before we had to re-record, but there's someone on the other side of the email address. So, you know, it's like sending out an important document or an article or, you know, sometimes an email can feel a little informal, I think, but at the end of the day, like providing value for your subscribers and making sure that you're practicing good deliverability will help you in the long run. Yes. hundred percent. So we can go ahead and jump right in because you've already done this once. So <laughs> let's just try yeah. and do it again. Okay. Let's, let's just yeah. do it. So the first thing that you should think about before you click send that I think a lot of people don't think about is ask yourself, how engaged is this group that I'm about to send to? So I would say if the list that you're about to send to is over 30% unengaged, you should adjust that. So maybe exclude some people based on their previous engagement. If you're a ConvertKit Pro account customer, 
you can um, exclude people with certain subscriber scores. So for example, a one-star subscriber hasn't opened in the last nine months typically. So it might be good to say, okay, this list is actually a little bit more unengaged than I'd like them to be. I'm going to exclude all one-star subscribers. And then right off the bat, you're going to get much better results from that email and help protect your sender reputation. Definitely. And I think um, even when you have everything segmented out correctly, sometimes it's just easy to click the wrong filter. Um, I just had a customer the other day reach out because their open rates were much lower than normal and they had included all of their cold subscribers instead of excluded them. So it's easy for that to be a, you know, an accident, but it can make a pretty big impact. And I've also seen people do this consistently on accident um, and it's definitely hurt them long-term. I think if you do this like once and then you recover pretty quickly, like you should be okay, but it definitely happens. So double check your filters before you send your emails. (laughs) Yes, 100%, super important. So the next thing to ask yourself, which might sound like a weird thing to ask yourself is, is this email going to provide value to my subscribers? And we say that because I think a lot of people will send an email just to send an email and check a box. And they're like, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to send an email, you know, whatever it is, once a week or whatever your cadence is, which it is good to send regularly and keep up a nice um, regular cadence, but also don't send just for that. Make sure that your content is providing value to your audience before you click send. And if it isn't, make sure to do some rewriting or just take a pause and send it again next week once you have something else to say. Yeah, I think this is, you know, this is important because like we have a hard time or at least I do kind of like explaining to people about their marketing strategy because it borders on the line of deliverability. Like your marketing strategy definitely affects your deliverability in some ways. And it's kind of like an indirect relationship in Mm -hmm. a way. Like I don't, I don't really know like the best way Like when I think about it, I can just like see it in my head. Uh, I have a harder time explaining it to people, but uh, you know, marketing and like voice is such a personal thing that I think it's really difficult sometimes to be like, you know, I noticed like X, Y, Z in your broadcasts are this way, but this one looks this way. And maybe that has something to do with it. You know, it's not always a, I think a lot of people think that, which it makes sense, but that deliverability is a lot of just technical aspects and they don't see how the marketing piece fits in, but it, it really does make a big difference. Um, and there really, there are tests we can do. There are things we can do to troubleshoot deliverability. And when all of those things check out and look good, the next step is to look at that marketing piece. And sometimes it is hard to explain to people that, hey, like everything on our end looks great. And actually your sender reputation looks great, but here's some things you might want to try differently. Um, but it's definitely can affect your, your deliverability. Yes. I think that goes into what you were saying about everyone on your list, your subscribers are human beings, which I think what happens is we, as humans, get wrapped up in the numbers. So you log into your ESP and you just see percentages and numbers. And naturally our brain is like, we focus on the metrics and we kind of take emotion out of it or sometimes like logic out of it. And we're just like, I want the numbers to be higher. How do I do that? And it feels technical. And everyone kind of wants this technical solution. They want to write into deliverability. And for us to say, you need to change your DNS records or you need to, you know, whatever it may be, something technical about their email. When a lot of times, like you're saying, it's like, it's just that there are humans who are receiving your emails and they didn't want to open. Like, 
there's nothing technical. It went to their inbox. Someone got it and they didn't want to open it. So you have to diagnose what's going on there. And a lot of times, like you're saying, it's not technical. You know, the human doesn't know anything about whether it's authenticated or not. It's about like, is this message providing them value? And you have to remember that every one on your list, every email address you see on your list has a whole life with so many things going on that you don't know about. They're busy and um, you have to kind of treat them that way and make sure that if you are going to take up space in their inbox, potentially causing notifications on their phone that distract them from other things going on, you better have a good reason to do it. And um, luckily, a lot of people do. And a lot, you know, there are plenty of email senders I look forward to receiving their emails. I've moved them from the promotions tab to the primary tab, even though they are promotional, because I want to be notified. But it's just about finding that where how can you make your emails have that effect on people. And an example I know from a a colleague in the industry, I won't name any names or the brand name, but during the pandemic, she was working with a brand who is like a ticketing company, a large ticketing company. And they were just like wanting to send emails to send emails. And they weren't doing anything to provide value. And there were no events happening. So their open rates were dropping like crazy. And of course, they thought there was some sort of deliverability issue, but it's like everyone's stuck at home and you're you know, trying to email them about live events that aren't happening. It's just not going to work. So you um, a lot of times will have to pivot. If you're seeing open rates are dropping, deliverability is fine. What do you need to do to dig in to the marketing side and be like, you know, what value can I provide to these subscribers? Mm-hmm. We uh, attended, Alyssa and I attended a conference uh, last week, the Inbox Expo conference, and there was a, an entire session dedicated to respect with your audience, with regards to your audience. And I thought that was without like getting too much into that, obviously you can tell this is like something we're passionate about. Um, but I do think it's important to kind of highlight that like in this industry, that is something that like industry experts talk about is like respect with regards to your audience. So I do think it's a really important topic. And I do think that it's really easy to get caught up in data and want to hit certain like metrics because like that's normal for like, you know, even if you hired an outside marketing company, like that's normal for them to want to like make certain metrics and make a plan and try to hit those. But I do think it's important to remember that like, you know, those numbers aren't everything. And uh, sometimes it takes a little, like you said, Alyssa, a little more digging in to figure out what's causing, you know, certain types of data points. 100%. Our next item is something that Melissa and I do pretty much every time someone reaches out to us about a problem is we send ourselves a test of the email to kind of get a better view of what could be going on. So if you aren't already, send yourself a preview or a test of the email before you click send. After that, we have a whole list of things that we think you should run through. The first one I'm gonna talk about is on the fancy side, and it's not something you need to do all the time for every single email, but maybe something you wanna do every now and then, every few months to make sure it looks okay. But I think a lot of people don't know that you can actually check your messages authentication by sending yourself the email and pulling the message headers. That might have sounded like gibberish, but I promise it's really not that complicated and you don't have to understand how it all works to check it. So let's say you're using Gmail. I can't go through every mailbox provider, but let's just use Gmail as an example. And you send yourself a test and you open up the email 
then you should see, um, you know, there's like a reply button at the top right corner. There should be three dots, like vertical dots. You click that and then a menu pops up and you click show original and then Gmail pops up a new window and it actually puts all the information you really need to need, need to know right at the front end. And just mainly what you want to see is that next to SPF, it says pass and next to DKIM, it says pass. If you have a DMARC record set up, there will also be a line that says DMARC and you also want that to say pass. So if any of those things say fail or soft fail or neutral, then you wanna reach out to your ESP. If you use ConvertKit, you'll probably talk to Melissa or Akash or myself. Um, but if you don't use ConvertKit, hopefully they have a deliverability team that can help you with your authentication. Um, and I saw, a, a, well, I see this actually pretty often, but when you move from one host to the other, uh, and you change where your domain is hosted, I think it's a really good time to test this out. It It's very, <laughs> it's very difficult because a lot of times with like DNS settings, there's different terminology that kind of gets thrown around and it, it doesn't always mean the same thing where you, wherever you go. So I think I see people reach out sometimes and they have really detailed questions and there's actually a very easy fix to their, their problem on our end. So if you switch hosts, I would suggest sending yourself a test. If it if anything doesn't say pass, reach out to your ESP to see what they need from you. It could be something on your host end. It could also be something that could easily be fixed in your um, ESP's settings. So uh, definitely do that. It's super helpful and it can catch issues before you know you start sending with that ESP. Yes, 100%. I feel like we're seeing that a lot lately. So very important. And one other really important thing I forgot to mention is that if you are going to send yourself a test, which you should, make sure you send it to a different email address than the email address that's being used to send the message. This is something we see probably daily, maybe. <laughs> um, so a lot of times people naturally just send themselves a test of their email, and they don't realize that they're testing with the exact same email address that is being used to send the email. And that's going to cause problems. So I'll try to explain it as good as I did last time we recorded this. But essentially what's happening is your mailbox that you know owns that email address you're sending from is seeing that it's receiving an email from itself, but it knows it didn't send an email to itself because technically ConvertKit is sending the email. So that looks suspicious. It looks spammy and could cause your mailbox provider to either place the message in spam or a lot of times it actually goes to the inbox, but there's just a big warning at the top, which scares a lot of people. So um, just a heads up, if you're going to test, use some sort of like external gmail.com address or hotmail or whatever it is, um, but don't use the exact same sending domain that you're using to send the message. Uh, I think an analogy I used last time is for your mailbox, it's kind of like if you were to receive a letter at your house and it said it was from you and it was like addressed to you, but it was also from you and you know you didn't send that message, you would be freaked out. And that's what's happening on your mailbox's end because they are like, I didn't send this message. This is weird. This looks like a spammer is trying to trick me. And I feel like it's worth pointing out just uh, because I do think there's a little confusion with this as well, is that that goes for role addresses too. So if if we belong, if Alyssa and I you know, belong to a company, we'll say, we'll just use ConvertKit as an example. 
you know, we have these addresses that are like admin at convertkit.com or info at convertkit.com. Those are also still attached to that domain, uh, convertkit.com. So don't use role addresses. They will not work any differently. It's still the same concept. Yeah, exactly. Really just, even just the sending domain being the same is enough to cause the problem. It doesn't matter if they're two different email addresses with the same domain. It's still going to potentially cause issues. And it's not going to be a good test for you to run. So we like to use Gmail address because I feel like Gmail gives you the most information if the message goes to spam about why it went to spam. So I personally really like testing with Gmail addresses. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, the next tip we have is to is to look at how the email looks in your inbox. And this one is sounds pretty straightforward, but it actually can really help. Just make sure the links are working correctly. I actually was just helping a customer recently that typically links everything in like a word instead of typing out the full URL and they sent the full URL instead. And I don't think people realize that that can actually have a pretty big impact uh, on your deliverability, especially if that mailbox, those mailbox providers are used to seeing you always doing something like, you know, the recommended way to send a link in an email is to link it within like a phrase or a word instead of typing out the full URL. So that's something that you can look for, making sure you're, you sent the right links, making sure they're working properly. And then just in general, your formatting, like you want to make sure that it's something that people can follow. I think Alyssa, you gave a really good example last time about our CEO, Nathan's emails and how they're laid out and how they're laid out with like, you know, content and then the link within that paragraph. I think that was that this episode. <laughs> yeah, I know that's so hard because I'm like, wait, what did we talk about? Um, yes, it was this one. Um, I was just saying when it comes to like deciding about a call to action, obviously best practice is to have a clear call to action with the rise in newsletters and things like that. That's not always the case. So if we think about two different examples, one being like a musician, I would say, oh, you should send an email that says, I have a new single coming out, pre-save on Spotify. And that should be like the only call to action, a nice big button. And I wouldn't add too much fluff there. A lot of people try and add tons of links and tons of things to do. And as a subscriber who's busy and just kind of scanning their inbox, it's hard to, it's overwhelming. And you sometimes won't take action because there's so much action you could take. But when it comes to newsletters, obviously there's not going to just be one call to action because that's just the way a newsletter is laid out. So I do think there's a way to still do that really well. So Nathan's newsletter, as an example, <laughs> he's just on a first name basis in this podcast. But in case you don't know who we're talking about, Nathan Barry, he's the CEO of ConvertKit, but also just like a really great creator and someone to um, follow. I know some of his blog posts I like reference often in my life, especially uh, the ladders of wealth creation, highly recommend. But anyways, so he has a newsletter and it's very easy to read. It has multiple calls to action. And a lot of newsletters are like this. It says, there's like a heading. It's like what I'm reading, little description, maybe a link to read it yourself. You know, what happened at ConvertKit this week, whatever. And then a little blurb and then a link to keep reading. So in those cases, it's a very easy to still take action, even though there's multiple kind of calls to action. But what you want to avoid is just, what I think we see kind of often, just a huge page of text and links and text and links. And 
your eyes just can't even, you know, you don't know where to go whenever you open the email. So make sure if you are going to have multiple calls to action that it's laid out super nicely. There are headings. Someone knows exactly what, you know, where to go and what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, part of my job day to day is testing people's emails and seeing if they go to the inbox. So I see a lot of emails and formatting and, I can say from personal experience that there is definitely a better way to format emails to make it easier for subscribers to follow. So maybe, you know, take your, take a second, put yourself in a subscriber's shoes and say, if I was receiving this email, like clear my mind and I saw it for the first time, is this something I can easily follow? And do I enjoy reading it? Does it, you know, make me feel engaged or do I look at it and do I instantly say like, oh, well, that's, that's a lot. I don't think I have time for that today. Cause I do think that that probably happens a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I, before I forget, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned that I think is so important and it's really hard to explain in writing. So I love that we have the podcast and I can, you know, both of us mm -hmm. can explain it with words. I actually tried to explain it in writing in the last deliverability uh, report. I think it was the February report. And it is hard. So to explain a little bit more about the whole, like why you shouldn't just put a whole link in your email. By that, I mean, let's say I want to link someone to a YouTube video. I'm writing an email. I don't want to say, click here to watch the video and paste the entire URL, hmm. youtube.com slash XYZ. And then, you know, add a URL to that. Because what's happening is if you're using an ESP, chances are there is going to be a link tracking like domain added to the link that's there so that your ESP can tell you like, you know, 5% of people clicked. Here's what they clicked. You want to tag those people, things like that. You couldn't get that information without the ESP adding a link tracking domain to every link in your email. So if I am a mailbox provider and I'm looking at that email, what I see is this person typed out a youtube.com link, but when I go to the link, it goes somewhere totally different. It goes to convertkit-mail.com. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, suspicious. <laughs> so you always don't want to look suspicious. You don't want to look like a spammer. And that is a tactic spammers will use. They'll say, you owe us, you know, whatever amount of money, we're your bank, click this link and pay us. And it'll say bankofamerica.com. But when you click on it, it goes to some crazy website. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is the reason why you should never like paste out a full URL in your email, but instead link it to a button or a phrase like click here to watch my YouTube video and add the URL to the words click here, for example. And it looks better. Yeah, <laughs> it looks way better. But I do think that's hard to explain sometimes. So Definitely. That was very well said. Yeah. One other thing that we've seen a lot I would love for us to talk about is message clipping. So that's another thing. If you're scrolling through your test email um, and you're using Gmail to test, scroll all the way to the bottom and see, does it say message clipped? Uh, click here to view the full message. So what happens uh, if your message gets clipped is that the open tracking pixel that lives in the footer of the email, it's like an invisible pixel that your subscribers won't see, but that tells your ESP the message was opened, it will get clipped as well. So a lot of times we'll see someone have a huge drop in open rates and they're obviously very panicked about it. And when we send a test, we see that the message was clipped. So what that means is people open the message just like normal. Their open rate was probably just the same as it always is, 
They just didn't get the data on any opens. So it doesn't mean less people open the message. It just means you didn't know about it. And that's a bummer. Um, so make sure that your message size is below 100 kilobytes uh, with Gmail. And you can test that also by going through the steps I mentioned earlier of showing uh, your long headers, your message headers. And there's a button that says download message. You can download the message, open it in like, if you're using Mac, your finder and see what the file size is. So uh, you'll also just be able to tell if you scroll to the bottom and it says message clipped. So uh, make sure that your message is not too long or has way too many, you know, like pictures or videos or things like that. Mm-hmm. And I love when we talk about something and it, it ha- like, I don't love it for our customers, obviously, <laughs> but when it happens in real life and I can say like, I know this does happen. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like common. I don't see it like every single day, but it definitely does happen, especially for people who have a lot of resources. They use a lot of like image heavy emails. So yeah, just, it's something to keep in mind. Uh, and you should be able to see that yourself when you send yourself a preview message. Um, Another thing that I think is important to bring up is, is it clear? This literally happened last (laughs) night when I was sitting, I was looking through my email. This happened last night. Is it clear who the sender is? Will subscribers recognize the sender name and address? So my example from last night was I signed up for this new, I don't even know. It's not an app. It's like this program where like someone, one of my friends sent me a link and it was like, it's called the nudge. And you sign up and they like basically send you activities to do in Seattle. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was a really cool idea. But I got an email after I put all my information in and it said it was from like a person's name. And I was like, you know, I don't really like that kind of like we just talked about this. So maybe I was more on edge than normal. But I was like, I just I couldn't even figure out what the email was about. Like between the subject line and the sender name, I was very confused. And and it didn't, when I signed up, it didn't, the email didn't come like right after I signed up. So I couldn't like say, oh, like I didn't go straight to my email to look right after I signed up for this thing. But yeah, I mean, that would have, I opened it because I, it clicked that I had signed up for something. But in the future, if I had been busy and I came back to that, that later, I would have not opened that email. So it's just something to keep in mind. If you're going to send with a a name, make sure that that is your brand. And if it's not your brand, send with your brand name because people are not going to recognize and probably want to open your email. It just looks sketchy. Yes. This is such a good one that I think people don't realize it's so important, but it's especially tricky, I think, for creators who maybe have, you know, their name brings some attention or people, maybe some people signed up because of who they are and their name, but they might also have, you know, some newsletter with like a cool name and some people signed up for that newsletter and they don't know who's behind it. So it's important to understand that and understand who you're talking to and what they know you by. And if there is confusion, then address that in your like first email you send to people. But in general, like make sure your sender name is so super recognizable that no one ever has the thought like, who's this? I don't understand. Why am I getting this? Because that is likely going to lead to either them, you know, just not opening the message and deleting it, which is a negative signal and can hurt your reputation, or it could lead to even worse, a spam complaint where someone marks your message as spam and getting an elevated amount of those 
can really damage your sender reputation and it can take a long time to come back from that. So whenever you are sending yourself a test, look at that sender name and ask yourself, are my subscribers going to know off the bat who I am and who this is from? I know we worked with a customer recently too, another good example where they were like, this email has a lower open rate than usual and everything is the same. And we tested that email against two other emails she referenced as like good emails. And they all came from different sender names, every single one. And the one that performed the worst came from just her first name. And people don't, I mean, you know, she has like a blog that has a different name and people know the blog name. So if your open rates are dropping, there's a chance your sender name is misleading. I know we've also probably all had that email in our inbox where it comes from some person's name and you're like, who is this? And it's like the CEO of the company. And most of us don't know the names of CEOs of most companies. So (laughs) don't do that unless you're saying like Bob at so-and-so. Like I think we send uh, ConvertKit newsletters as Tyler at ConvertKit. That's totally fine. Obviously any reasonable person can see, okay, it's ConvertKit. But if we just sent it from Tyler, it would flop. Like that would not go well. Yeah, it's it's a great... It's a good point. It's something that the more I learn about deliverability, because there's always something to learn every day. And the more I'm in my inbox, the more I'm like, I can't believe that companies actually do this. Like, I can't believe because it happens a lot. Actually, the first name thing drives me crazy. But another thing to keep in mind, a lot kind of alongside, you know, the, the sender name is the subject line. The subject line can really help you or it can really hurt you. Uh, And that sounds like kind of an obvious statement, but there was one that um, an example that someone brought up not too long ago that I was like, oh my gosh, that if you run a webinar and you like to send a reminder email like 30 minutes before the webinar starts and the subject line of the email says, we're about to start in 30 minutes, don't forget the chances of people opening that email is very slim because they have no reason now to open the email. They already know what you're emailing them about. So your open rates for those particular emails will probably be very low. And even though it might not seem like a big deal, the unengaged nature of that email could eventually start to hurt your deliverability, especially over time. And I've definitely seen this. I would say typically, and I don't know if you agree with this, Alyssa, but like webinar type emails, when that is the sole business purpose of a customer's emails, they usually have a lower open rate average than a lot of our other customers. And I do think I would, I would bet that that's part of the reason why I've never done like a full on study or anything, but I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. That's such a good point. I love when you talk about this because I'm always just like, yeah, I don't think anyone thinks about it because there is such a fine line with subject lines. You don't want to be gimmicky. So you don't want to like trick someone into opening or whatever, use some sort of, you know, gimmick, but you also don't want to give away the entire message or people won't open. So it's like, you have to have this really careful area where you are, you are encouraging people to open the message in a genuine way. And you're kind of teasing what's going to be in the email, but you're not tricking them. So an example of like a tricky one we've talked about is like using RE, R-E, or F-W-D forward in your subject line. Do not do that. Also against can spam legislation, but don't uh, do anything misleading to trick someone into opening. But you can do things like, I'm trying to think of a good one now. 
You did give a good example for the webinar um, that I remembered when we recorded this previously, but when you are sending like a, you know, hey, we're going to be live in 30 minutes, don't forget, instead of using that as your subject line, say, hey, here's three things you should know before we go live. Love it. And I loved that. And it could be like, you know, make sure your web, your webcam is turned on, or here's the correct zoom link or, you know, whatever those things you could even add, like, here's a, you know, for those who like wanted to look at this email, here's a free downloadable PDF to go along with, you know, with the webinar. So there's so many things you could do, but I love that, that example. That was really good. Yes. Oh, good. I'm glad past Alyssa had a good example. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's a good example. Like, um, you're not being misleading there, but you are saying like, here's five, five tips for the webinar you're about to join. If someone's already signed up for the webinar, they're going to want to open that and understand like, Oh, mm-hmm. what do I need to know? I want to be prepared, but you're not telling them like the entire content of the email within that subject line. Right. I thought of, this is such a disjointed episode, but I thought of something I said <laughs> last time that I didn't get to say this time about <laughs> clipping messages. So I'm going to rewind a little bit, but I know I've mentioned them before. I just, this one surprises me because of how much resources this company has. Yep. So yeah, I know what you're going to (laughs) say. I have, as I've said before, I'm signed up for Gucci's email, which is one of the only like retail email lists I'm on. Oh, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I don't know why I really don't like to buy things through email, which is probably crazy. Like that I'm doing this podcast, but I just like, I'm not the target audience for that. I like to buy things in person really mostly, but I love the content of Gucci's emails because it's so beautiful and aspirational, which is just fun for me to look at and see like what they're doing. But every single Gucci email I get is clipped. And I'm like, are, you know, I'm sure they have an email marketing team. I mean, the messages are beautiful, which is why they're clipped. They're like huge files. So it's crazy to me that I guess no one there is testing them or seeing that that's happening. But I open almost every email I get. And on their reporting end, I am probably listed as like a cold or unengaged subscriber. And if they ever do decide to clean their list, they're probably going to remove me because they're not getting any open data from me because the messages are clipped. So that's another reason to make sure to stay on top of that message clipping issue and pay attention to your metrics and test your emails. Because once you do clean your list, I know nobody wants to let go of subscribers in general, but especially engaged subscribers, you don't want to remove them. Well, it takes people a while, I think, to realize when they're missing something like that in their inbox. Like, I wonder how long it would take you to be like, oh, I haven't seen a a Gucci email for a while. If they did accidentally remove you. It would take so long. I wouldn't think about it. I only think about it because I get them. And I did reply to an email and told them, and I got a what we also say not to do, like a do not reply kind of response. Like this mailbox isn't being monitored. And I'm like, dang, that that's a bummer for you all because (laughs) you're missing out. It was some free tip of like, hey, this message is clipped. I try and do that when I see clipped messages in my inbox. I'll reply and be like, you're probably going to think your open rate's super low on this one, and it's actually not. Here's what's happening. <laughs> but anyways, they're, they didn't get the info, and they still haven't changed anything. So That's so interesting, especially because when you reply, like, that's a positive signal, regardless of if they're not monitoring that inbox. Like, I mean, I know that a massive company probably doesn't have the resource. Well, they I guess maybe they could if they wanted to, like, have the resources for people to respond. But it is interesting, like, 
I've always wondered why people have, because those replies have to go somewhere. I know. Yeah. It didn't go anywhere. It was like, if you want to contact us, open up a support ticket. And I'm like, I'm not doing all that just to give you some free info. So (laughs) just trying to help you. Exactly. Um, But oh, well, I just, I love to point out that example because I think especially as creators, it's easy to think that like these large companies have everything figured out and it's hard to compete against them when it's like, in the email space, the playing field is very leveled for you. Like you don't have to compete against their ad spend on Instagram or whatever. You can outperform Gucci, you know, like you can do things that they're doing wrong as a creator and show up in the inbox right alongside of them and do better. So it's a really good point. That was so well said. <gasps> oh, thanks. We got one good thing. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that last time. So, okay. Feels good. Yeah. I think well, I was going to say this one, we it kind of goes along with like the whole subscriber experience, which I feel like you were just talking about, which would be, is it easy to unsubscribe? Oh, yes. We had some good talking points on this one. <laughs> we did. We did. And this is something I feel like I really like advocate for senders. Like doing this job has taught me a lot about creators and and kind of like pain points for creators. And I really love learning about people's businesses and all of those things. But at the same time, when I'm in like the the subscriber headspace, like there are things that make me so frustrated that senders do <laughs> yeah. that I want to also advocate for subscribers. And that is when it when people make it difficult to unsubscribe. There is nothing that frustrates me more. And I will not, I will not re-sign up for your list if I can't easily unsubscribe. And actually, I think I brought this up when we recorded this previously, but we had a, a guest last week, Ben from ConvertKit. He came and talked about YouTube with me while Alyssa was out of town. He had a great point. He said that, you know, for a lot of creators, he gets what he needs from them after he's followed them for some time because he feels like they they cover like similar things. Like they kind of like can reuse their content. And after some time, he will like eventually unsubscribe. And not because he like doesn't like them anymore, but he just feels like he got out of it what he was looking for, which is great. I think that's like the goal of every creator is to like help people until the point where like, you know, hopefully they want to stay on with you forever. But like, if you did everything you can to help them and they like feel like they got that from you, that's awesome. So Ben was like, but sometimes I'll go back like later and resubscribe to their list. In my mind, if I could not unsubscribe easily, if I had to type in my email address again and then pick like, like say all these things or like, do I have any feedback or just like, I would like to go to a link that says unsubscribe and that, and that be it. Like, I don't want it to be difficult. I don't want to feel like if I type my email address in incorrectly that I'm still not going to be unsubscribed because then ultimately if I, which yes, it would be my fault if I typed my email address in wrong, but I've done it before. And if I typed it in wrong and then I still got an email from that company, I would probably market as spam. Yes, all of it. Yes, it's the worst when you go to try and unsubscribe. And there's so many things that people do to try and make that hard. Maybe you can't even find it in the footer because they made the text the same color as the background. Terrible. Don't do that. Terrible. Yeah, it's it's awful. Don't do it. Yeah, it is. Sometimes people word it so hard, like because naturally you kind of scroll for the words unsubscribe or opt out. So sometimes people will put it in this long sentence and like link a random word where it's like, if you no longer enjoy reading these messages, you can click here to request that we no longer email you, you know, things. So where it's like hard to find the unsubscribe and they bury it with other text. But one thing you just mentioned that we didn't talk about last time that I think is a good point that I don't think we've ever mentioned on the podcast is that 
Yeah. And you pretty much, you know, said it, but with some businesses, like there just is a natural kind of lifetime Mm. for your subscribers. And it's really good to be aware if that's you and to be okay with that. And don't force people to stay on your list or try to be tricky. Yeah. If you need to pivot to still like work for those people, you can brainstorm that. But for example, let's say you own or you create a blog about weddings and getting married. That's a whole industry. I mean, it's a great example. Huge industry. Yeah. But it's one where someone is only kind of in that world for maybe, let's say, six months to two years-ish. And after that, it all goes out of your head. You're like, I don't care anymore. So if you are in a world like that, you need to know that probably every six months to two years, people are going to want to unsubscribe from your list. And that's the nature of it. You just got to let them go Mm -hmm. and make it easy for them to be let go. Or they're going to mark your messages as spam probably or become unengaged and never open your messages, which are all bad things. That was a really good example. I hadn't really thought about it in that way before either. I was thinking the weddings was, that was a very good like life cycle example. Um, I was thinking about like fitness sometimes, especially if you offer certain kinds of programs, I think maybe people, I think I've done that before actually. Like I signed up for like a six week challenge and after the challenge was over and I enjoyed it, but I just didn't feel like I needed to stay. So maybe things like that too. And then actually, as far as unsubscribes go, you also had brought up another really, really good example about just allowing people to unsubscribe to things. And this kind of goes back to realizing that there's a person on the other end of your emails and curating your emails so that people feel comfortable in your space. And that is with Mother's Day coming up, it would be a really great idea to allow people to unsubscribe from those kinds of emails. And Alyssa, you said it so well last time, so I'll let you kind of like elaborate on that. But I really liked that idea. Yeah, happy to. And I made sure after we recorded last time, I was like, oh man, it might be past Mother's Day when this episode comes out, but it won't be. It'll be right before. So I think this will be perfect timing, but it's something I'm starting to see pop up in like my Twitter timeline is people will screenshot emails that are like, you know, do you want to opt out of Mother's Day emails? And um, I think I didn't always understand that because I'm like, well, yeah, like some people have probably lost their mother. And but there are so many, I guess, like triggering events that can happen for people. But I have realized that (laughs) women's health is something that isn't talked about very much. And there are differing stats, but between one in four and one in eight pregnancies end in miscarriage. And also one in eight couples struggle with fertility. So if you think of those stats and, you know, if part of your list is uh, female or even male, you know, struggling with those issues, there's a good chance a lot of people on your list are um, going to have a hard time getting a bunch of emails on one day that says happy Mother's Day over and over and over when maybe they are struggling to become a mother or they've lost a mother. There's so many different things. So it's just a, it can be a heavy holiday in general. And when it comes to respecting your audience, I think it's a great example of a time where you can allow people to not receive those. And I think that's good for everyone to make that more mainstream and to not make the people who are like having those struggles just deal with it and silently. (laughs) Um, So that's one thing that makes me happy seeing more brands do that. 
And I would highly recommend if you are going to send any Mother's Day content to go ahead and send an initial email that just says, do you want to receive these? Do you want to opt out of these kind of thing? Um, And I think your subscribers will see that as a sign of respect and care for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I thought that was a great point. Another thing kind of unrelated, I don't know, it's about unsubscribing that I remember I mentioned last time. I saw another tweet. Twitter is so good for deliverability sometimes, but um, I thought it was super interesting. And it was about someone, they were about to unsubscribe from an email, but when they opened up the email, they saw that at the very top of the email, it said, um, I actually have the example here. At the very top of the email, it says, if you don't want to receive our weekly ad, unsubscribe here. And the person who received it, her name is Skylar. She works for Salesforce as an anti-abuse manager. She said she was so happy to see that unsubscribe visible, easy to find right at the top of the message that she stayed on the list because she was like, I love that they did that. Um, And she was about to unsubscribe. That's so funny. That's probably something that like email geeks would do, but I would totally do that too. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously that might not be everyone's reaction, but I, I think even if I wasn't about to unsubscribe, seeing that right off the bat, it's honestly like a baller move as a sender. It's like, I respect you. I'm not trying to force you to be here. I want to provide value. And the first thing you see when you open my message is like, Hey, if you don't want this, click here to unsubscribe. It doesn't have to be huge and, you know, in their face. But I think that would be a really cool even it, again, if I love the brand, I'd be like, oh, wow, like they're so confident in their messages and I am free to leave at any time. That's a good feeling to have as a subscriber. That's a really good segue into the next talking point we have, which is, is the email that you send authentic to your brand and voice? Because I think that if you have something like that at the top of your message, you're probably pretty confident, like you said, in who you are as a company or a creator. So this is a tough one because I think you do have to kind of, I mentioned this last time. It's like when, when you write a paper for school and you read over it and there's a word that's misspelled, but you keep reading the word correctly because your brain just automatically corrects it. It's really good to get a different set of eyes on your content. And with ConvertKit, you can use A-B testing to kind of see like what people are engaging with. But I think that overall, like just making sure, like you said previously, Alyssa, like you're not sending out an email just to check a box. Like I think you need to take time to make sure if you're feeling uninspired and maybe even write that to your subscribers. Like, hey, I'm feeling really un- uninspired right now. Let's talk about it. And and ask for, like all of those things could be super helpful for you as a creator. But I just think that this is a really important one, but there's not like a way that we would ever be able to be like, here's all the things you should look for. You know, like we're so used to being able to say like in deliverability, here's all the technical things that you need to think about. But this one is definitely very specific to who you are as a creator and what your business is. Yeah. I would say on this one, something that we see uh, fairly often is that, you know, someone will be a creator. Let's say they have a strong like Twitter presence or they have a blog or they're on Instagram and people are following them because they love to like see their tweets and they have a, a voice that shines through. I think every creator has that. I mean, that's part of being a creator is like you kind of have your own persona and people love when you're authentic and true to yourself. And that voice comes through. Maybe you're funny, maybe you're sarcastic, maybe, you know, whatever it is. And then it's like email sometimes I think there's a disconnect in people's brain and they, if let's say you're a blogger, you have that great voice 
and it's time to sell something and you start an email list, it's like that voice sometimes goes out the window and people just kind of copy and paste what they've seen in their lives of promotional emails. And they're like, hurry now, buy in, you know, whatever. It's like totally different than who they are. And that can be really off-putting as a subscriber and make you want to unsubscribe or definitely, you know, not as eager to purchase. But it's like, if you're known for being witty on Instagram and you also have something you want to sell, like let that shine through in your email about, you know, your product. It's totally fine. Like make sure that your emails sound like you and what your subscribers, you know, signed up to your emails for. Right. Great point. Okay. I think we're almost done. This one's pretty straightforward, but check all the links uh, just in case. It's always good when you're sending a test. I kind of mentioned this a little earlier, but it, yeah, it definitely happens and I see it. So (laughs) yeah, I think one thing we mentioned last time we recorded this is that a lot of ESPs do have like link checkers. I know ConvertKit does, and it'll warn you if the link is broken, but sometimes people will put a a working link in, but it's the wrong link. Like they copy and pasted the same link twice, for example. And that's something an ESP can't warn you about because they just know if the link's broken or not. So that's another reason why it's good to have a human look over it. If you are on the ConvertKit Creator Pro uh, plan, there is a really cool feature where you can actually edit a link after the email was sent out, which is feels crazy. So if that does happen to you, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good feature you can lean on. And if a subscriber messages you and says, hey, I think this link is going to the wrong place, boom, you can edit it and it'll change for everyone in their inbox. Wild. Magic. <laughs> I know. It really feels like magic. <laughs> well, I think the moral of the story for me, what I got out of this mm-hmm. <laughs> is send yourself a test email. Yeah. And remember your subscribers are humans with lives and they're not robots who should automatically click all your links and open all your emails. You got to provide them some value, come to them also as a human, be a human as a sender and respect them. Yeah. And you'll be good to go. Well, we did it. Yes. If you're listening to this still, thank you for hanging in there and we hope you have a great rest of your week. Please Subscribe if you haven't already so that these episodes will automatically get downloaded onto your phone and you can stay in the know about everything email and deliverability. Yes, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.